Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. I will not read a passage as such because we will have about 22 references from the book of Acts today uh, from all over the place in Acts, so we will not read a passage as such. Uh, But uh, yesterday we had 14 points. Today we are going to have 18 points. Uh, But um, uh, hopefully the the result is going to be one, uh, one point that is going to be emphasized out of all these points. So um, I hope that you will get that one point that comes out as a result. Um, in the first 14 chapters of Acts, uh, in, except in chapter 5, uh, there are references to prayer in all the other chapters. So it's very much a book that is saturated with, with prayer. And um, the first time we, we come across this is in verse 14 of chapter 1. And it says, all these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Now, this is a situation where Jesus has gone back uh, to heaven, and he has been, uh, the, the disciples have been told to wait. And while they wait, before the first great revival that the church experienced, they are devoting themselves to prayer. Uh, before revival, um, this is something that always has happened. Uh, J. Edwin Orr, the great writer about revival, says, history is silent about a revival that took place without people getting together to pray. However, here there is another factor that is mentioned, and that is that they were with one accord. Uh, most translations, transla- uh, newer translations use the word together, but this is a word um, the homo tumadon, which, which really means with one accord, with one mind. It was united prayer. And so before revival, very often, unity is restored. That is one of the ways in which the doors are open for God to do something. So this was united prayer. Uh, we, we see the priority of, of this in uh, Ephesians 4.3, where Paul says, um, uh, be eager to Maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The word eager has a sense of urgency. Uh, This is an an important work for us to work towards. As a leader, having led Youth for Christ for 25 years, I can say that that has been the most absorbing challenge I've had in my ministry, to make sure that the team is united. So they were united, and then we are told that they were devoting themselves uh, the word devoting uh, is a translation of a Greek word, proskartereo, uh, which, which means to devote oneself or to continue in. In other words, this is what people used to call prevailing prayer, where you continue to pray until God answers. Today there's a tendency for us to uh, look for quick results. Uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes you just go and proclaim God's victory over a place or something like that. And, and I think there's a, there, there's a place for that. But let's not forget that sometimes God, ans- the, the, the response to the prayer uh, that we pray comes after a long time. And we, if, if we get impatient, we can give up on some of these projects. If we have trouble in our church, we quickly change and go to another church. Uh, without persevering, prevailing in prayer. And this word has this idea of continuing in prayer. Uh, I I don't know whether you have heard the story of George Mueller, how he had five people that he uh, decided to pray for every day, for their conversion. And um, the first one came to Christ after 18 months. And then he prayed for another five years before the second of these five people came to Christ. And then another six years, uh, that is 11 and a half years after, uh, sorry, 12 and a half years after he started, um, the third person came. 
And then he said, 36 years after he had started praying, that he's still praying for the other two because they had not yet come to Christ. And um, shortly before his death, the fourth person came to Christ. And then the fifth, a year, a few years after his death, prevailing prayer. You remember Jesus uh, when he gave that uh, the, the parable of the woman uh, who went to the unjust judge and kept on asking. He prefaced that parable by saying in Luke 18 and verse 1, that we ought always to pray and not lose heart. This is prevailing prayer. Sometimes we have children who are disobedient. We can't talk to them about God because they are not in a position to listen. But we can talk to God about them and continue to pray. Sometimes it may not happen during our own lifetime. But uh, you, you have seen these prayers. People come into Christ much later. Countries that are closed. Um, you know, how, how we can pray for those countries. We have been uh, uh, given a good vision of what's happening in North Korea. Um, I remember I grew up as a, as a child, as a, as a teenager, reading the famous biographies of people in China. Um, Hudson Taylor uh, and um, Pastor C and people like that. And God gave me, a, yeah, I, it, it was so sad for me to think that there is no church. We didn't know what was happening in China in the 60s. Um, and it was so sad. So we prayed, Lord, uh, please do something in China. And what joy about 20 years later to hear the news that this place has opened up. That, I mean, not opened up, but that there is a church there that has been growing. Um, I think uh, my best sales of my books last year was in China. Uh, what a joy. Uh, I can say the same about Albania. I was about, uh, I think, in my, about 18 years old when I read somewhere that Albania is the least Christian country in the world. And I decided to pray for Albania. I mean, I didn't pray uh, as consistently as I should, but I know I did pray. And what a joy it was for me then to read that, they, that Albania has opened up, that there are Christians there, and, I, and also to find that one of my books was translated into Albanian. You know, prayer is an exciting thing. Long-term praying is also really exciting because you pray and pray and pray and then suddenly you see the answer to your prayers. Uh, W.E. Sangster said that when we get to heaven and know what prayer did on earth, we will be ashamed that we prayed so little. So, united prevailing prayer. Then we come to chapter 1 and verse 24, uh, where they are choosing um, the, the, the 12th uh, apostle. And um, we are s said that they uh, presented uh, criteria for the choice of these people. Uh, and then two people uh, met those criteria. And uh, after that, uh, they asked God. So verse 24 says, they prayed and said, you, Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have been chosen. And then they cast lots. This is the last time uh, in the Bible that you find uh, the casting of lots. And some people think that this was the final time. Because after that, in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit came. And uh, the, there's the promise of guidance from the Holy Spirit in a new way uh, that the, the earlier people didn't have. And so, um, so we don't know. But whatever it is, they had done their homework. They had done the earlier work. You know, sometimes uh, 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 we think that we look at prayer as a substitute for work. You know, we have to do our homework. I remember I was studying Hebrew in seminary, and we had a very, very prayer-oriented student. And um, he would pray with us. He was a warm person. And uh, however, he didn't study too much. And uh, if you want to study Hebrew, you have to really study. <laughs> and I remember one night we were preparing for the exam the next day. All of us were up at about 2 o'clock in the morning. And this brother is going from place to place, encouraging us, praying with us, but not studying. You know, sometimes prayer can be a substitute for work. We have to do what we have to do. And then, but, but always we depend on God to lead us. Sometimes when you are at a meeting and we feel that we are at an impasse, you know, we have come to a situation where you don't know what to do, 
uh, it would be so wise for us to just stop. Stop the discussions and ask God, Lord, please lead us. And this is the kind of thing that they did there. Then the third time we find a prayer is in chapter 2 and verse 42. A church has formed. Uh, there are now several believers. And um, verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, to, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They devoted, same word again. You remember we talked about that word that means to continue in, devote themselves to. They were giving themselves to prayer as a community. Uh, and, and devoting oneself to prayer is very important because I have found in my personal life and in the life of the church that I'm involved in and in Youth for Christ, that it is so easy for the momentum of prayer to drop. And if you don't give it priority, we would tend towards prayerlessness almost automatically. And clearly, uh, prayer was an important aspect of the body life of this early church. Then we come to chapter 3 and verse 1. Um, uh, and it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. The Jews had times when they prayed. Usually they prayed three times, at 9 a.m., at, at 12 noon, and at 3 p.m. Uh, and you remember that Daniel, when, he was, when they were asked not to pray in anyone except uh, the king's name, uh, he went and he prayed three times. They had a pattern for prayer. And it is good for us also to have a pattern for prayer. Uh, because otherwise, uh, very often, it doesn't get done. You know, I've heard people say, oh, I'll, I'll pray, I'll pray. But if there is no real decision as to when we are going to pray, uh, it's very easy for us to lose uh, the, 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 the habit of praying. Uh, what if you can't pray at, at, uh, as planned? And now I think we are under law. We are not under law, and we don't have to be legalistic. If for some reason you couldn't pray, it doesn't mean that God's hand is going to leave you. Uh, I think uh, sometimes to sober me, uh, before I, when I'm traveling, I struggle with jet, jet lag, and sometimes I put the alarm and go back to sleep. And um, I'm going to pr speak about prayer, and suddenly I get up, I have to rush to the place, and I'm going to speak about prayer without really praying. Uh, but, you know, God understands. And, you know, we are not under law. I mean, God knows uh, who we are. And, um, and so uh, we do, you know, you don't have to be legalistic. But if you find that you can't pray at, at the time that you had planned to pray, then it would help to immediately decide, I will pray at this time, without saying, uh, I must pray sometime today. You know, I missed my time, so I pray sometime. Without saying that, you know, if you can immediately say, I will pray at this time, a specific decision is made. That helps us to follow through. Let me say that um, I'm, <laughs> I come from a, a working family. We all work. We are known to be people who are always working. My neighbors used to say, you're always in a hurry because I'm running from place to place. And... I don't take to prayer uh, naturally, you know. Uh, I think I take to work more naturally. But it has been this theology of prayer, the knowledge that if I do not pray, I'm nothing. I'm going to miss my ministry. I'm going to miss God's anointing. It has been the theology, the knowledge that this is important uh, in, in God's sight that has helped me to continue uh, in my life of prayer. Uh, the next time we find prayer is in chapter 4 and verse 24. And uh, um, I have called it community prayer in times of crisis. Uh, this morning I changed the title uh, to uh, prayer with friends in times of crisis. Because verse 24 uh, says, now they have been told, you cannot preach about the name of Christ again. So their supreme task has been made illegal. And Peter and John come, and it says, they came 
Um, this is verse 24. Uh, and they prayed, uh, chapter 4, verse 24, sorry. Um, and they came, um, when they heard, uh, they, they came to their friends. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Uh, the NIV uh, also puts it very nicely, to their own people. Uh, the, King, uh, the New American Standard Version says, to their companions. This seems to be a group closer than, your, uh, the, than the whole church. A group of people that you have, that you can go to when you have a crisis. Your friends who help you in your difficult times. Now let me say that as a person who travels, um, few things have helped me as a traveling preacher as much as the group of friends I have at home. They are the ones who pray with me. They are the ones who know my weaknesses. They are the ones who I, whom I report to when I come back about my personal life. I may publicly report about my public ministry, but to them I report on my personal life. They are the ones who I write to when I have a crisis. So I think it's very good for us to have this kind of friend. People whom we can go to, um, our own people uh, that we can go to when we have a time, when, when we, we are in need. And again, the word with one mind or with one accord comes here. They, when they released, they went to their friends and reported. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together with one mind. So in crisis, unity is one of the things that helps. Um, uh, and a crisis will show problems of disunity. It will surface because when there's a crisis and there is no unity, it can be a real problem. Uh, and um, sometimes you find parents breaking up after a crisis with a child. The child has been sick and, uh, and you know, they've gone through this huge crisis. And once the crisis is over, during the crisis, they realized how uh, set up, how different they are. And, and because of that, they end up divorcing. Uh, but, um, but crisis can also serve to bring people together because you realize you need people at that time. Um, when I was speaking at the Baptist church in the morning on Sunday, I talked about a friend of mine, uh, one of my colleagues, who was arrested for the seventh time in his life for being a terrorist, uh, which is very common in our country. People of, our, of the Tamil race, I'm a Sinhalese, the Tamil race are very often arrested. And I told how he, um, he was so discouraged uh, because here's a person who's not a terrorist, who's against terrorism, and now he has been arrested and he, he was in prison for 15 months uh, without any charges or anything. Uh, and, but he was very discouraged until he met a friend. When he met the friend, they said, let's pray together. And they prayed. And after that, they said, let's do some work here. And I was telling the story how God used him in a powerful way. Many people came to Christ. Uh, so much so that, um, you, know, uh, you know, after he actually, when he was leaving, the prison authorities said, you can come back anytime, you know, uh, and, which is what he did. We seconded him to prison fellowship for two years, and he worked in prison fellowship uh, to help uh, raise up their prison work. So unity helps. Uh, and, um, and of course, the, the, the prayer at this time of crisis, focused on the sovereignty of God. And that's something to remember. I think there is nothing that influenced me as, uh, uh, during this 20 dark, 28 dark years in Sri Lanka. When we've had a war, we had a revolution on top of that, we had a tsunami, and then we had persecution for the churches. No other passage ministered to me as much as this passage. Because when they went to God, they went and affirmed the sovereignty of God. Uh, because in the crisis, you realize God is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, we can go about obeying him. Even though everything around us is crumbling, we know that we belong to God. And we can just go about obeying him. And it has a controlling influence in our life. You don't panic. And you know that if you are obedient, God will work out things for the good, which is what he did, in, uh, and which is what they prayed about in verse 29. Uh, grant to your servants to 
to proclaim your word with boldness is what they prayed in that verse. So, uh, chapter 4 has this thing. Then in chapter 5, we don't have any references to prayer. So we come to chapter 6. And in chapter 6 and verse 4, um, we are told that there was this uh, disunity that arose and um, because uh, certain people were not looked after. It's wonderful. You know, the word that is used for the disunity is what they call an onomatopoetic word. The sound suggests the meaning. Gongusmos. It sounds like the, uh, the buzzing of bees. It's a very unpleasant word. The church was grumbling. They were murmuring about the distribution, the way the distribution was done. Now, the church, at that time, when they heard the murmuring, they didn't rebuke them for their attitude. Their attitude may have been wrong. But when there are disunity problems, we have to immediately address them, which is what they did. They got the church together, and they, dealt, they addressed the issue. And then uh, Peter says in verse 4, um, but... Um, it, it is, uh, brothers, pick out, uh, in, in verse 3, he says to pick out seven people to, to be involved in this administrative task. And then he says, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, and then again, um, they, they, um, they say, well, actually, um, yeah, the, the, it's, it's here that you find this. So the leader had to devote himself or herself, the leaders had to devote themselves to the work of prayer. Uh, why is a leader, uh, again this word devote, uh, continue in? They had to continue in prayer. Why is prayer a priority for leaders? Well, firstly, God is the real leader of any Christian movement. So we are really, the leaders are really representing God. And if they are representing God, they must be in touch with God. They must know the mind of God. So leaders need to be people of prayer because they represent God. Secondly, leaders are called to pray for people. Paul, in 10 of his 13 letters, says that he prays for those who receive the letter. To his spiritual child, he says, I pray for you night and day. Timothy, 1 Timothy. Uh, he says, I pray for you night and day. The longest prayer of Jesus that is recorded is in John 17. And most of that prayer is praying for his disciples and then praying for the church. Um, uh, the only time Jesus mentions his own prayer life outside the prayer is in Luke where he tells Peter, I have prayed for you. So for Jesus, praying was an important thing. Um, Samuel, speaking to the people of Israel, says, God, for, uh, and, and far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. A leader's primary responsibility is to pray for the people. Then a leader also prays with the people. In Acts chapter 20, we are told that Paul went from house to house praying. You know, uh, people today, I, actually, this has never been very popular among Christian leaders, going from house to house and visiting people. Uh, I was writing my book, Jesus Driven Ministry, and I was reading about pastoral care uh, from a book called Classical Pastoral Care that talks about how people care, how pastoral care was done all through the centuries. And a bishop in the 15th century, I think, uh, wrote a book on pastoral care. And in that book, he says, I know that you ministers don't like to visit people. <laughs> you know, he says, I know you don't like to visit, but it is an important work. And so we go to people's homes and we pray for them. Leaders pray with people. You know, this praying for people and praying with people is a very important part of, an impo of a vibrant church. Today we have a lot of exotic conferences on, um, on these exotic me methods of evangelism and all of that. Very good. I mean, we have to uh, get the best possible means, find the best possible means to, uh, to help people uh, come to Christ. 
But you know, there are some churches that are adopting wonderful methods of evangelism and outreach and attracting people. But their doors are like revolving doors. People are coming in and those others are going out. Coming in and going out. Because some of these basic things, such as visiting people, praying with them, praying uh, for them, is not part of the life of that church. So we pray for people, we pray with people, and then we lead the people in prayer. When leaders come, they, get, they, they lead the people in prayer to God. And then, uh, fifthly, uh, leaders have to keep prayer as a priority in the group. As I said, every group tends to a higher level of prayerlessness, almost if left to itself, just on its own. The second law of thermodynamics says something like this, uh, but uh, that's something else. We are saying prayerlessness happens in a church. If we, if the lead, and the leaders must lead in showing the priority of prayer. Then uh, in chapter 6 and verse 6, these they set before the apostles, that's the seven people, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Laying hands and praying God's blessing on people when appointing them. The same thing is said in chapter 13 and verse 3, where the missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, when they are sent out, the church lays hands on them and sends them out. Then in chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, the elders, when the elders are appointed, there's no mention of laying on of hands there, but when the elders are appointed, we are told, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. The laying on of hands signifies mediating God's blessings. And we have the privilege of being media, uh, the people through whom God's blessings can be mediated as we pray. So, uh, I think it, it is very important for us to get into the habit of when appointing somebody, starting a new project, launching out into anything, to before that, before the launch, to pray. To pray with these people and commit them to God. Uh, before a long trip, before a family goes on a long trip, uh, just to say something, uh, to, to commit the trip to God. I think that is just initiating it with prayer. I remember once taking my son for a cricket game. Uh, he was playing, and uh, I was driving the van, and, um, and I had forgotten to pray with him. Normally, I pray with him before he goes. And I still remember him saying, uh, will you pray for me? And I, I remembered I hadn't prayed with him, so while I was driving, I prayed for him. Uh, uh, just, just the idea of sending people off with our prayers. Then... Um, uh, chapter 7, verses 59 to 60. Um, here you find that uh, Stephen is being killed. And, um, and then, uh, verse 59, As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then 60, And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Um, handing over a situation to God in the midst of a battle. When you live close to God, when you are in a crisis, you just speak to God in the middle of the crisis. Now, he must have been in tremendous pain. But, but because he was being hit, uh, we had a staff worker who was killed. Uh, he was uh, assaulted until he died. Uh, just because he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. When a bomb went off, he happened to be nearby. And they took him and they just hit him. And, uh, and they killed him until he, until he died. They hit him until he died. And, um, and people who saw him dying said that he just kept saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's what he kept saying as he was dying. As uh, when, when we are in our pain, we, we tell God, um, Jesus. And you know, it's an amazing thing that has happened to uh, Stephen here. Uh, earlier on, we are told that he sees God standing, uh, the position of a witness, standing on his behalf. 
as if to say, this is one of my people in the courts of heaven, uh, attesting to the genuineness of his servant, even as the courts on earth had rejected him and, and, and uh, uh, put him, con condemned him to die. So he sees God, and now he's acting like Jesus. Just like Jesus said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Just like Jesus said, Father, forgive them. He is acting like Jesus. He has entered into the fellowship of sharing in Christ's suffering. And that is one of the deep beauties of the Christian life. That in the depths of our pain, even there, God is with us. And as he's with us, we can talk to him. And so he hands over to God uh, his, his life and the people who have said this against him. Then we come to chapter 8 and verse 15. Um, there has been conversion in Syria, in Samaria, and, um, and with that conversion, uh, we are told that Peter and John come to see what was happening, and he came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Praying with people, again mediating God's blessing, they needed the Holy Spirit, so you pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I have found that praying for people like this in a public setting, uh, you know, when people come to you and you pray for them, I have found sometimes that it is even more tiring than preaching. Because you know you want to be God's agent. You want your prayer to accord with God's will for this person. This person has come with a need. And now you, are, you want to pray for that need. You don't know what God's answer is to this need. So you desperately pray to God, Lord, help me, help me, help me to say what is the right thing and you, uh, so that you can be in tune with God's spirit when you pray for these people. And in, um, um, I heard this actually from a friend of mine. He says, when you're praying for people like this, if something comes, you ask God to help you, and if something comes to your mind, Pray about that thing. It may be a word from God. And so sometimes when I'm praying for somebody who has come with a need, and the thought comes, this person needs to forgive somebody. I, I, I don't know whether it's from God or not, but I say, Lord, if this person has to pray, has to forgive, Lord, help this person to forgive. Or um, if this person has to repent of anything, let this person, you know, um, repent of their sin. So, again, you're mediating God's grace through prayer. Then um, one person, Simon, the, the sorcerer, um, uh, is, uh, is asking uh, for, 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 for the wrong type of thing. Uh, and um, uh, Peter rebukes him and says, this is not for you. And then, in verse 22, Peter exhorts him to pray. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. So here, it is exalting the wicked to pray. And that, too, is sometimes our task. When you know that somebody is going in the wrong direction, to exhort that person and say, turn to God, pray that God will have mercy on you. And then... There is a request for prayer in verse 24. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said will come upon me. This was an, seems to be, have been an insincere prayer, because later writings tell us that Simon was a real problem to the church. He caused a lot of problems in the church. So, uh, but, but here is a person who's coming with an insincere request. Some people come with the wrong request sometimes and ask us to pray for them. Uh, God is holy and seeks a holy relationship with us. If, if people come asking for a request but, not, but are not willing to become holy, to, to follow God's holy path, then that may be something that we have to deal with. Even though they come and ask, for something from us. Uh, because they, they come to God just asking for a favor. We must direct them to God and to God's will. 
uh, a few weeks ago in our church. Uh, we, we normally have uh, tell people, if you want to pray, just come and we will pray for you. And a lady came, and she was a convert from Buddhism, a fairly new Christian. And, uh, you know, the poor people find it very difficult to get things from government, government departments. So usually they have to pay a bribe. And she came to me and she asked for prayer, saying, I don't have any money. Please pray that God give me, will give me money to pray, pay this government uh, person in order for me to get this certificate. And I said, now, are you paying this for a bribe? Uh, she said, yes, but there is no other way. So I, uh, we decided that we will pray that without paying a bribe, she will be able to get this certificate. So sometimes people come asking for the wrong prayer, and, and we need to direct them uh, to, to what we understand as God's will. Then in chapter 9 and verse 11, Saul has been converted. And what does he do at the start of his Christian life? God tells uh, Ananias, rise and go to the street called Straight. At the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. He starts off his Christian life by seeking God. And in the Bible, very often we are told, in the Psalms especially, uh, to seek God. In other words, to, to stay in the presence of God. Seeking his face, seeking his blessing. And, um, and what a wonderful way to tell people to get started on their Christian life, right at the start. To get them into the habit of seeking God. Because it buttresses to a new convert the idea that the essence of Christianity is to know God. And so uh, this is the first specific reference there is in Acts to a person praying alone. Later in chapter 10, we find Peter in Joppa going to the, to the roof to pray alone with God. Now, let me just say uh, also, uh, Jesus, very often we are told that it was his habit. Luke tells it was his habit to go to a lonely place and to pray. Today, one of the things the church has rediscovered is the gift of worship. And it's wonderful to see the way the church has renewed its worship. And we are also seeing, uh, in many places, a renewal of praying together. So this is a good thing. But one of the fears I have is that in this, alongside this, individual prayer may be getting crowded out of our busy schedules as Christians. And that would be terrible. That would be a dangerous thing for, for individual prayer uh, to get um, uh, driven out. Uh, we are told in this, in this, uh, in that Saul was fasting during his prayer time. Now, the fasting is an expression of earnest seeking after God. In a time of need or when you're starting a new uh, season of something or you're in need of direction, praying alone and fasting could be a good combination because it it expresses our, our eagerness uh, to prioritize God's will, that God's will is the most important thing. Then we come to chapter 9 and verse 40. Um, and um, here, Dorcas is, has died, and they have called Peter. And um, verse 40 says, but Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, rise. So his prayer was not uh, the public prayer. He first prayed alone to God. And after that, he turned to the body and said, Tabitha, rise. So um, this is praying before some sort of assignment. Uh, you remember how in Mark chapter 8 and 29, when the disciples asked, why is it that we were unable to cast this, uh, uh, to heal this boy? Uh, Jesus said, these things come by prayer. And so there is a sense in which prayer is our preparation for the work. Actually, as E.M. Uh, e. Bound says, it is not preparation for the work, it's the work. 
But what happens is, uh, W.E. Sangster, uh, talking about preaching, says that when we pray before preaching, what we are doing, he uses this old word, unction. And uh, unction is, uh, what I think, very similar to what we call anointing. When you're, uh, when you're preaching under the influence of the Spirit. And he says when we pray, what we do is uh, unction comes when we, uh, when we set our sails so that they can catch the wind of the Spirit. In other words, we move the sails. We get attuned to God, if you are to use another picture. You know, you're, when you're spending time with God, you are coming in touch with God and you're beginning to think God's thoughts because you're in the presence of God. That way you prepare to minister God's word. I remember when I was speaking at the Amsterdam conference, it was a big conference of evangelists and, um, and I got up, I was speaking in the morning, so I got up early morning to pray. And um, I said, Lord, fill me, fill me, fill me. And after some time, I realized, now God also must be getting tired of me saying the same thing over and over again. So I, I thought, what shall I do now? I took my, uh, prayer, my diary, and I have a prayer list there. And I just kept staying, uh, praying for the people in my prayer list who are at home. But I realized that while I was doing that, what I was doing is I was attuning myself to God. So when we are interceding, we are getting in touch with God, and it's a good way to prepare to go for ministry. So uh, Jesus, uh, so, so before any assignment, it is good for us to spend time in prayer and then uh, so that we can get in tune with God. There was a, a black preacher who was asked how he prepares his sermons, and he said, I read myself full, read fully. I think myself clear, and I pray myself hot. Reading, thinking, clarifying, putting these things into some good order, and then praying. Then, um, verse four, uh, the, the 14th point, chapter, two, uh, chapter 10 and verse 2. Here is... Uh, Cornelius, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Could God answer a prayer of someone who doesn't know about him or uh, who doesn't go uh, in, in what we consider the proper way? Well, uh, when people seek after God, God will really reveal himself to them. And here was an unbeliever. Seeking after God, and God revealed. An angel spoke, Peter came, and he was converted. And that whole family came to Christ. So God revealed himself to a praying person. Then, uh, chapter 10 and verse 9 to 16, uh, this is uh, Peter in, um, in Joppa. I don't know why, but he thought the place that he could go to to pray was up on the roof. And here, it is going to a special place to pray. Probably it is to be undisturbed. Uh, do we have such places? For most of us, I think it is our room. But there are some times when the room may not be appropriate. Uh, I do all my work in my room. So sometimes when I'm very busy, praying in the room is too close to a place of temptation. My computer, you know, to go back and start answering emails. So I have to leave my room and go to some other place. I live close to the beach, so very often I go to the beach. And, and, and go there, because at that time, when I'm so busy, it would be better for me to leave the place of busyness in order to go and pray, be in, 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 in the place where God wants us. Now, some of us can't find the best place to pray. And God is the God, you know, it's a lovely verse, uh, Romans 8, 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness uh, because we don't know how to pray. He's going to help us. And if you don't have the proper place, the proper environment, in the most unsuited environment, God can help us to pray. When I went to university, I, I was in a Buddhist university. Actually, the, the vice chancellor of our university was a Buddhist monk, and it had been a Buddhist seminary shortly before it became a university. I was living in a Buddhist home, 
And I still remember when I first went there, I was praying in the morning, and the servant boy brought a cup of tea for me, and he ran to the lady of the house and said, um, this Ajit is very sick, he's in pain. And, and so she came running to see what was happening. I was kneeling, and he didn't know what this kneeling was. He thought I was uh, having a stomachache or something or in pain. And, and, and um, in this home, uh, the, the, there was a girl who lived in the home and the daughter, and she loved Elvis Presley and Jim Reeves. So every morning, 6 o'clock, I have to listen to Elvis Presley and Jim Reeves. And uh, I found that I was able, after some time, I got used to, you know, quieting, uh, getting that message out and spending time with God. Then God speaks to Cornelius and Peter while they are praying. And, um, you know, when we are in tune with God, this is in chapter 10 and verse 3, and in 10 and 10, uh, where God breaks through to them, when we are in tune with God, sometimes God is able to break through into our lives. This happened in chapter 13 and verse 2 also. They were praying, and then the Holy Spirit spoke to them and said, set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have given them. So, uh, so here, uh, God, we, we, prayer opens us to hear from God. Then uh, we, we come to chapter 11 and verse 18. The news has gone that Gentiles have been converted, and uh, they question Peter. Peter explains, and then in verse 18, when they heard these things, they felt silent, and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They glorified God over the salvation of the lost. Oh, may never the day come in our churches when our hearts are not thrilled when we hear that somebody has come to Christ. That is the most glorious thing that can happen to anybody. And when we hear that, may that May our hearts be filled with joy. Um, I have uh, several heroes, uh, but one of the heroes I have is Billy Bray. He was a Methodist preacher. He's a hero because I've worked with the poor all my life. And, uh, and, uh, here, and my great yearning is to see leaders emerging from out of the poor. Well, Billy Bray was one of those leaders. And he would go visit. He was a coal miner in Cornish. I think they call him Cornish. Uh, coal miner, uh, and, um, and um, he would go visiting. And when he finds that the husband has come to Christ, he would, he, was a, he would take this person, put him on his shoulders, run round the house praising God that this person had come to Christ. Now, you don't have to adopt the Cornish coal, mi uh, coal miner's culture in order to be happy. But whatever is appropriate to your culture, let's Rejoice when people come to Christ. And then finally, we come to chapter 12. Uh, uh, James has been killed by Herod, and Peter is in prison. And chapter 12 and verse 5 tells us, So Peter was kept in prison, but, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And then, verse 7 says, and behold. Now, this is another of those wonderful words that describe prayer. We talked about the word that talks about prevailing prayer, devoted, to continue in. This prayer, ektenos, ektenos, actually has the idea of stretched out. And because of that, people uh, translated it as continuing in prayer. But more, I think, the idea is you stretch out your hands to God in earnest supplication. This word was used of Jesus praying in Luke 22, 44, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Being earnest, he prayed. Um, and um, uh, it, it brings the sense of urgency. Uh, and, um, and, and, and this is this idea of, of, Lord, this is serious. This is important. Lord, please, please, please do something. Now, I must say that, it's, uh, the, you know, we, there, there is a certain cultural earnestness that comes in, within every church tradition. Uh, 
where we have heard people pray culturally in an earnest form. And so that becomes the standard form of worship. But there is no real earnestness. It is put on. There was a lady who prayed, Lord, I want to praise you. I will love you. I will do whatever you want. Even if the roof falls on me, I will praise you. Even if the roof falls on me. And she just kept on saying, Lord, let the roof fall on me. Let the roof fall on me. Her grandson was visiting her and heard the grandmother praying and thought, I'm going to help God to answer this prayer. <laughs> so he went, she went up to the roof, he went up to the roof and took, a, took one of the tiles and put it close to the grandmother, not on her. And the grandmother said, Lord, what I'm saying for lies, you're taking for true. It had become a form. And so we had to be very careful. But as we realize how earnest, urgent the situation is, Christians not living as they should, people headed for hell, Christians being persecuted. Yesterday we heard the message about the Arab Spring and how it could be dangerous for the churches. As I was listening to BBC last night after the meeting, the thought that came to me is, now what about the Christians in Syria? One of the oldest churches. Whatever it, it is, this was a, this was a secular uh, government, even though it's very repressive. So, so there, is, there are always urgent situations going on. People in need with individual problems, community problems. So that would cause us to be earnest all the time. There's always things to be earnest about. I'm sure you remember the prayer of the great Scottish Presbyterian John Knox. Give me Scotland or I die. Earnest prayer. So here we have looked at 14 chapters and come up with 18 points on prayer. But I think the one point that comes through all of these is prayer is important. Prayer is a priority. I think it is the most important thing that we do in life. For us who are in public ministry, this is very sobering. With all our public ministry, perhaps the most important thing is something that no one, that we do, is something that no one can see. It is the time that we spend with God. 14 chapters, 18 points, 22 passages, but actually one point. Prayer is important. Very, very important. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.